0: Good morning, everybody. The Bible reading this morning is from the second 2 Timothy two Timothy um, chapter 3, verses 12 through to 17. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and
1: And to have youth in with us today is great as well. Pretty um, good timing, I think, for today's topic. Uh, my name's Isaac. I'd love to chat to you after the service if we haven't had a chat before. Uh, now, when you prepare for a bushwalk, what do you do? What do you do to get prepared for a bushwalk? I wonder what your routine is. Uh, have a look at my friend's routine. He sent me this photo of how much he's prepared <laughs> for a bushwalk. We're doing it in a couple of weeks. And oh my, this is all his work. It's not like an app. He's just found all these um, stats. He knows the elevation we're going to be kind of walking through, even like how much water to, to drink and what the start weight would be of our packs and the end weight of our packs. This is for a two-day walk in the Blue Mountains. It's not like an intense week-long bushwalk or anything. He is fully equipped. Like he is ready in every single way. He's bought all the gear. He is raring to go. And I think he's probably a bit too equipped, to be honest. Like, you just want to enjoy it and just, I wonder what's around the corner here. But nothing will be a surprise for him. Now, with our kids, we want them to be fully equipped in life. And I don't think you can over-equip them, right? You can't make them too ready for life or too prepared for what they might go through. And that's what we're looking at today. That's what God's Word says, is that uh, we can equip our young ones in life. And it would be an amazing sight to see a church full of young, young people who love Jesus, who follow him, who they're ready and they're resourced to be wise in this world. Teenagers who might not always know the answer, but they know Jesus and they're secure in Christ and they go to him regularly in prayer. Kids who memorize scripture and who wake up in the morning and they go straight to God's word, straight to prayer. And kids who know that their mistakes, they can, they can own up to their mistakes. You know, it doesn't define them. It's not their identity. They're forgiven in God so they can be honest with their shortcomings in life. It's a great desire to have for our kids and youth in our area and for them in our church. And yet we know it won't be an easy task because we're in this world full of pressures, aren't we? We feel that as adults, and it's just the same for our youth and kids as well. The Bible, it's clear about the state of the world that we're in. Like humanity, it's this awesome creativity of God in every single human being, and yet we've all turned our backs on God. What a broken place we live in. with so many problems, so many dysfunctions. And it's true for our kids and our youth as well, even while it might look slightly different for them. In this passage, it mentions a few different pressures on people in our world. It talks about persecution and evildoers around us, and those who are themselves deceived and they deceive others. In verse twelve, it declares that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, this doesn't mean that every person we encounter, you know, will persecute us for following Jesus, especially in Australia many people will respectfully disagree with us. Many people might challenge us or simply not want to be that close with us. And yet at times we might experience direct persecution for following Jesus. It might be hatred or being treated poorly for following Christ. And clearly it's a lot less common in our part of this world. Uh, There are so many parts of this world where brutal persecution is the daily expectation the daily battle of believers, and we ought to be reminded to pray for them, lift them up in prayer. In verse 13, Paul, he reminds this young Timothy. He tells him that there are evildoers in our world, that there are people who are not only deceived themselves, but they go on to deceive others. And these pressures are constant for every one of us. And look, later on today, Rach and I, we're going to be chatting about some of these pressures and sort of putting some flesh on it and applying it together. So look forward to that time. So in this world full of all kinds of stresses and immorality on our young ones, how do we equip them well for life? How might they be able to approach any situation wisely? And this kind of question, it slows us down to think about the best use of our time. Like, how are we going to invest in the next generation? And many people have sought to answer this question. You know, it might be through morals, through greater education, through, you know, being um, disciplined, like focusing on discipline and uh, correcting their bad behaviour, or maybe focusing on rewarding good behaviour, affirming what is right. There are all kinds of ways people seek to do this. And look, I'm not a parent, and I can't even imagine how many resources you must have and how many opinions and ideas for how to equip your children. It must be overwhelming at times. I'm sure there are moments of uncertainty about which approach approach is best and and probably the guilt that comes with that as well, right? See, we're, we're in this world that's designed to kind of sell us the next thing, the next idea of how to approach a problem. And as we think about this idea of equipping the next generation, we're not so much thinking about areas of their life like academics or you know their social skills or hobbies, that kind of thing. We're focusing in on what the Bible tells us is the most important part of their life. We're focusing on their spiritual lives as kids and youth and how we might be able to prepare prepare them best in a world full of difficulties. And in fact, if we equip them well in Jesus, that will flow out into the rest of their world, the rest of their lives. Jesus has this habit of just transforming our lives, kind of rearranging the furniture, and it kind of flows onto all different aspects of our lives. This passage, it tells us we can be fully equipped. Paul, he wants Timothy to be ready for whatever life will throw at him. And he gives him two ways to continue in Jesus. By knowing the Scriptures and by knowing those who taught him. So that's really what we're focusing on for the rest of this talk. Knowing the scriptures and knowing who has taught him and who has taught us. So knowing scripture, we can be ready for life by knowing what God has given us. Verse 14, Paul instructs Tim to continue what he had learned from childhood, to continue in what he'd become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy... You've known the Holy Scriptures and that they're able to make you wise for salvation in Jesus. See, the Bible is powerful and it transforms and it transforms Timothy's life. We're told that it's all that we need for salvation. It also goes on to say that it it equips us for every good work. So the Bible, it is all we need for salvation and for godliness. God, through His Spirit, He works in us to trust in what it says. Because it is God-breathed. It is from God, not from man. That's the reason it's so crazy powerful and can just transform somebody's life. See, it originates from God, not from the mind of man. And as we try to disciple the next generation in Scripture, it's a great comfort to know that it's the words of Scripture that will convict them and change them and transform them. It's not up to us and how we might persuade them. We don't have to try to be the solution for their many problems in life, right? The Bible actually convicts people that it is true simply as they read it. Jesus taught us this in John 10. He says that, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. How awesome is that? See, God has made the Bible clear and compelling so as we read it, Those who are his will trust that it is true. It's not like we need some other resource or person to tell us that it is right. And if you think about it for a moment, if you were told by somebody that the Bible is true and you believed it mainly because that person told you, well, then they're becoming your supreme authority, right? You might believe whatever they might say. But if you simply open God's Word and read it and it rings true for you, well, the Bible is your supreme authority. You'll go to it for the answers in life, not to a person or any other resource. It's soaking in God's Word which will transform lives. And that really helps me as I think about youth ministry and kids ministry. We have lots of other elements in our structures, right? We have games and crafts and videos and all kinds of things. But we want to keep soaking our young ones in God's Word because that is the power to transform Now, we've been thinking about how precious and how powerful God's Word is to us. And if we really, really believe this practically, well, it would just come up in all kinds of situations in our lives. And even this passage talks about how Scripture will be used in all kinds of situations. It describes how it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. See, what a great task we have to kind of disciple the younger generation, to show them what it means to follow Jesus. And in this broken world, it's vital that we have aunties, that we have parents, that we have teachers and leaders, all kinds of people investing in the next generation. And we have everything we need to do as well, to equip them fully in the Bible. So in our families, in our church... Might We teach young ones the content of the Bible, brick by brick, and that's often what it looks like at youth, just trying to get one point across, brick by brick. We persuade them that it's true, that it's good, that it makes sense. See, we want them to have a deep conviction that it is good for them. And what an encouragement it is to me to hear that this is happening day to day in our many families in our church as well. Now, the discipleship of the next generation, it has always happened in the people of God, in this group of believers. You see this in the Old Testament. See, Israel, they were commanded in Deuteronomy 3. It says, "'Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, and be careful to do all of the words of this law.'" Young ones were included in the people of God. They were to teach them all that they knew about God. To teach them, you know, how the Passover works and what the Passover was all about. And that's how we come to see that, look, Kids Church and Garage, they're not like a holding place for kids until they can come and join in the service, right? They belong in our community. I actually love weeks when we have Garage come and join in the service to, to show this point, It's not like we, you know, treat them as mini pagans until they kind of grow up old enough and then they can join us in this group. We we treat them as people who belong. We accept them in our group and we just continue to disciple them year after year. We're looking for, you know, those developmentally appropriate signs of faith. We want to see at different points in their lives that they are trusting in Jesus, appropriate to how old they are and, and their abilities in life. And if our young ones know Scripture, they'll understand that they don't have to seek evil out. In fact, God will change their desires to love what is good and right and pure and holy. God will change them not to be so concerned about deceiving others or lying to get ahead or to seem impressive. God will help them. The grace of Jesus will shape them to be honest in life. And they can own their mistakes, their regrets in life, realizing that God, he is full of mercy and forgiveness for them. Scripture will equip them in life. But Scripture needs to be taught by someone, right? It needs to be mediated to us by somebody. And verse 14, Timothy, he's, he teaches, he is taught to continue in Jesus by those who he's learnt from. And actually, Elsewhere in Timothy, we hear the names of those who taught him the gospel. So for us too, we we're to equip kids and youth for life. We want them to know us as well, not just to know scriptures. Paul wants Tim to know and recall who taught him, because that's how we kind of decide something is true, right? We judge whether something is true based on the person or, or somewhat based on the person that's telling us. It happens all times in our life, like any truth claim. Like if a science lecturer told us that something was true, we might think about their experience, think about their credentials, think about um, yeah, their, um, um, how uh, well experienced they were in their field, and then we might decide whether they're true or not. In a similar way, young ones, they'll consider our lives. They'll consider, does our life actually match with what we're saying right now? Does our character flow out of what we're trying to teach them? In verse 15, it tells us that Timothy knew the Holy Scriptures from infancy, and elsewhere we're told who taught him. 2 Timothy 1 says, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and now I'm convinced is in you also. On your Lois and, and Eunice, what a great group of people, his close family who taught him the gospel. And while we, and while we have direct mention here of his family members, we must uh, realize that it was the whole church family that would have brought Timothy up to know about Jesus, Right? Even Jesus, he modelled for us a care and concern for young ones who are not in our family, who are not ours. He shows us the essential role that this church family has in discipling young ones. You see this in Mark 10, a very familiar passage to most of us, I am sure. It says, They were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. He took them in his arms. He blessed them, laying his hands on them. He shows us how much God values children. And amidst this pagan world, that was a big deal. They didn't always have a high regard for kids. But God shows us that they're unique, that they're precious to him. And his view was really quite incredible for the time. In the ancient Roman world, children, they were often seen as a bit of a nuisance, right? And I'm sure we never, ever kind of stray into thinking that about kids. We're very different, I'm sure. But Jesus, he shows that deep kind of care for kids. And the Apostle Paul continues on in the same way. In the book of Thessalonians, you'll even notice Paul describes himself as acting like a father and acting like a mother to those around him. He was this spiritual parent to the next generation. I wonder how we might be a similar kind of influence in the young ones in our lives and the young ones in this service even. See, God, he is so concerned for the salvation of young ones just as much as adults. And this doesn't mean every one of us are in the kids and youth team, right? And it's not appropriate that every one of us would be on a team like that. But every, every member, we ought to be thinking about how we might be able to invest and care for the younger generation. And later today, we'll flesh out what that actually means, so you'll hear a bit more about that as well. Now, church family, it's essential in growing them up in Jesus. And that's why we bring our whole church together at moments like baptism. We're, we're trying to show that we're on about discipling young ones together. And in our kids and youth ministry here at TAC, we want them to know their leaders. It's an essential part of the ministry. So, for example, each week at youth, Jordan and I, we lead the junior boys in discussion groups. We we try to lead in a discussion group, but, you know, um, Caleb's sort of smirking. He used to be in that group as well. It often is a bit ridiculous. We're running around, throwing a footy, but it's part of it, right? We want to get to know them and we want them to get to know us. And it makes the ministry work. They ask their questions. They see the gospel played out in our our lives as well. And what an encouragement that this is happening in our church, that there are structures, that there are ministries where this discipleship is happening week in, week out. Because I'm sure there are weeks as a family where you're just spent, right? You're tired, you're overwhelmed, and those routines, maybe you're in God's word, aren't quite happening for that week. You're not dwelling richly in God's word together. And firstly, if that's you, thank you for simply coming to church. And let us love you. Let us disciple your young ones. But in those crazy weeks, what an encouragement to know that there are people in our church still investing in your young ones from any age. And there will be weeks where our kids and youth ministries, they don't run, like during the holidays. Or they're really struggling to teach them anything because there's all kinds of distractions in those ministries. We're so encouraged to know that many families, they're regularly soaking their young ones in God's Word, reading the Bible for themselves. And I was recently reminded that there's a family who, every morning on the drop-off to school, they're listening to God's Word for the couple of kids as they drop them off to school. What an encouragement that is. And that brings us... To the helpful principle that we'll finish off here, that we think about kids and youth ministry, we need to remember that parents, well, they're actually the primary disciples of their children. See, children belong to God foremost, but parents and carers, they have this steward, stewardship of this gift of life of their children. They have a distinct role in God's redemptive work in that child. You see this in a passage like Ephesians chapter six, verse four. It says, "Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord." Parents have this incredible long-term discipleship opportunity, and no church structure can replace that. It really can't. See, God has placed them in positions of authority, more than friends or advisors. And parents or carers are a great example of following Jesus, of that leadership. It's a positive relationship with parents. A lot of studies have been shown that it has a persuasive impact on young ones to, to trust in Jesus themselves as well. As people naturally kind of sit down and open God's word together. And the Bible even says, when you sit, when you lie down, when you rise. It talks about making the most of those opportunities with your children. And one simple way that you can kind of dwell in God's word together as a family, even this week, is using a new resource that's come out by YouthWorks. And YouthWorks is this, um, this uh, group who love to equip families to dwell richly in God's word. And they have this 555 five, five challenge. And it's a five week challenge to spend five minutes, five days a week, in God's word. And they send you this free PDF if you sign up for it. And it helps you through these discussions and and questions that you might do as a whole family for five weeks. So I'd love to encourage you to to find that resource. Simply search YouthWorks 555 Challenge. challenge. Now, as we think about this idea of kids and youth knowing those who teach them the gospel, whether that's their family or their church family, I find it comforting to know that our witness will have a long-term impact. See, many people who grow up in our church, maybe in kids' ministry or youth ministry, many won't continue on to walk with Jesus. They won't want to know Scripture, right? They won't have a desire to know Scripture. But they will still know those who taught them, especially if it's their parents. They will know those who taught them. They'll know their character. They'll know their love for Jesus. They may not seek to know the Bible anymore, but they'll always know you. They'll remember how they felt when you taught them God's Word and as you related to them. And so maybe as a parent or a friend of someone who no longer follows Jesus, you can still be known by them. You can still have that long-term impact in their life as well. Now today, what we've done is we've, th- we've thought about how we're able to fully equip our youth and kids. We have all we need in God's Word And as a church, we're striving to have our young ones saturated in God's Word. And we're actually going to watch a video now of a couple of people who, well, one uh, person particularly who is doing this, is discipling the next generation. Uh, So do be encouraged by this video. And then after this video, Rach and I will come back up and we'll try to land this and and give a few more ideas of how we can keep thinking about this idea. Uh, But before all this, let's finish this time in God's Word in prayer before we watch this video together. Do pray with me. Our dear Father, we thank you so much that you care for kids and youth. Help us to care for kids and youth. Help us to be intentional as we disciple them, whether we're parents or uncles or aunties or people in this church. Might we have a great desire to see young ones who love you, who know Scripture, and we know them. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.